You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Lars Grönegaard, the CEO and co-founder at Dream Data. One, get a job somewhere where you have the right to do an experiment. Two, do an experiment. Like if people say it's not going to work, but just do an experiment and prove that it works. Okay, we are back with a new episode of the SAS Nordic podcast. And uh, well, Daniel, how are you today? I'm actually doing splendid. Uh, we're just a, a few days away from uh, our big event this fall here, SASIS Digital 2022. So if you haven't signed up and you're listening to this, now is your last chance. Go ahead and do it. Where do you go? You go to sassiestdigital2022.com and you register there. Who's this for? Uh, this is primarily for operators. You know, I sometimes say like, you know, there's people that uh, actually do the job. This is for those people that actually do the job. So okay. those should attend. All right. But if you're just an investor or a board member or a thought leader, can you still hang out? I mean, they're also welcome. And it's a good way for them to, to understand <laughs> the business, to get an insight here. So they're also very welcome. Yeah, this is for everyone. So join us for a full day full of learning experiences, networking. It's going to be great fun. Hope to see you there. Also have a multi-track uh, like setup this year. So we will have a CEO founder track. We will have marketing and, and sales. We will have product and we will have customer success. So it's going to be yeah, a lot of different content. But today, we're going to focus in on social selling. And how do you handle a situation where suddenly your employees are going viral on LinkedIn, for instance? Right. And especially from a CEO perspective, right? Yeah. So here we go. Let's do it. So today we are joined by Lars Kronegård, the CEO and founder at Dream Data. So how was my Danish pronunciation? It was excellent, Thomas. And thanks for, for, for letting me join the podcast. And thanks, Daniel, to you as well for, for, for having me on the podcast. I see this is going to be a nice conversation, Lars, because you just lied to Thomas that his pronunciation was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? You, you're, you're, you're a friendly guy. I am a friendly guy. Besides being friendly, for the people that don't know Lars, who is Lars? Yeah. So uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Dream Data in uh, Copenhagen. And uh, before starting the company, I came from uh, Trustpilot, uh, also Copenhagen, uh, now IPO company where I ran products. And uh, really, that was sort of where we got started on the idea for Dream Data. So we had a lot of um, efforts going into go-to-market. Of course, if you're growing, you have to do that. Right. And um, what we couldn't really do was connect everything we did to revenue, which is pretty essential when you figure out, we want to figure out how you're growing. Right. And basically it was a data problem. So that's something that you faced during your time at Trustpilot then? Yeah, exactly. And then just one day you decided, we're going to build a company around this or, or what happened then? A lot of companies get founded out of uh, sort of facing a problem in another company. And of course you also have to think about whether uh, you know, are other people facing, is this a problem that's just your personal problem or is it something that other people are also meeting? And in this case, we felt that this was a pretty generic problem for B2B SaaS companies at least. And we also felt that even if it was super painful to solve it, uh, like internally in a company, 
you could build a product for it uh, and you could sort of build something that was scalable and could be you know brought to many companies so they they didn't have to suffer through uh all of the sort of horrors of, of integrating all that data right yeah so to go back a little bit around yeah we're talking about dream data now and what your guys are doing but for the ones that don't know anything you know about attribution they don't know anything about dream data could, could you just tell it in simple words what your guys are doing yeah i mean attribution is is one of the things we do really well so basically connecting revenue to everything uh everything you spent on marketing for instance and everything you see people doing in your funnels you want to connect that so that you can see you know when i made a deal where did it actually come from okay right and you cover all types of channels like you know how do you know if it came from a webinar or a LinkedIn white paper or somebody listened to a podcast, like what can you catch? What can you not catch? Yeah. So I think, think of anything that you can have a digital touch point for that you can record somewhere that can be integrated into customer journey. So, you know, if somebody's listening to this podcast and then decides to go and check out dream data, I will not know that you listen to the podcast. Right. You know, I don't have a way of knowing that. And I think we should all be, glad that i can know that right i think you know but you, but you can know on the first touch on dream data resources if it was channels that you would own yeah so so every time you know where somebody's coming from based on say a referral or your jam parameters or click ids or something like that then you can integrate it and then there's also you know stuff that you put into your crm system or marketing automation system that also sort of fits into a customer journey right all right uh who would be your ideal customer? So we're mainly selling to B2B SaaS companies, uh, slightly larger than ourselves. So we're targeting companies that are about 100 employees up to 5,000 employees. Yeah. And I would say our sweet spot right now is like a 500-person company. Why is that? So I think it's it's about um, enough complexity in the go-to-market that you you know if you're 25 people, uh, you can all sit in a room and you can pretty much figure out what happened by talking to each other. Yeah. Um, but as you grow, the go-to-market motion just becomes more complex. You have multiple marketing teams. Maybe you have both a content marketing team, a social media marketing team, paid marketing team. It just grows more and more complex and figuring out what actually impacted the deal becomes, you know, a huge data problem. So it needs to be a certain size for this to be a problem. Um, and then you can say, B2B SaaS, this isn't exclusively like a SaaS problem. It's also, it's generally a B2B problem, but SaaS companies are extremely digital in their go-to-market. Yeah. So that you can say they are kind of a first adopters or like early adopters of a new way of going to market, uh, which so you move outside of the SaaS vertical. There are many companies that are doing the same and have the same problem, but there are less of them. Okay, so it's a huge market to uh, to maybe go for in the, in the second phase or so. Totally. And who's the one that's struggling the most with this problem in an organization? Who, who do you go after? So you can say there are like two main approaches. So one is, say, the marketer mm -hmm. who either is... Uh, like really wants to contribute to what like the, the company's uh, revenue like how do you actually know that what you're doing is impacting revenue or pipeline or like actually driving business results so that is probably the dream scenario helping people like that then there can be sort of a more defensive position around sort of I am a marketer I have a budget but it's hard for me to prove that I'm impacting mm. uh, business um, 
there's also a legitimate reason to use a product like this that you want to make sure that people understand why you're doing it, especially in times like this. It can be challenging to sort of maintain, you know, your autonomy and the budgets if you can't prove that you're impacting revenue. And then you can say the third is, is somebody who's responsible for data, who's basically servicing other people with data and who wants this integrated customer journey view that can build solutions for the marketers, but also build solutions for other things. Right. Cool. And I know, like, even though you guys have been, you know, not around for, for a decade or anything, it's a relatively, you know, shorter time here, you've had quite an amount of success. So walk us through some of the numbers here. How many customers do you have? What's your ARR? How quickly are you growing? Where are your customers geographically based? Um, we've been primarily growing over the last 12 months and, and we've been growing really well. There are sort of a 10% compound monthly growth. So that's roughly 4x in your revenue in 12 months. So it's been very rapid um, growth over the last 12 months. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been busy. <laughs> and that has taken us to sort of between 1 and 2 million uh, of AR and a little less than 100 customers. And do you foresee that... Uh this 4x per year is going to continue? Right, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and regarding markets. Yeah, so market-wise, uh, I think that's, we started out thinking that we do sort of more traditional, like if you're in Denmark and you're doing go-to-market, very typically you do like Denmark, and then you do UK, and then you do US. Um, and you do an outbound sales motion, it's very popular. And, but we ended up, you know, sort of been overtaken by, you can say, sort of inbound success. Mm -hmm. And then we actually ended up having our largest market being the U.S. now. So we have uh, about a little more than a third of our revenue is, is U.S.-based. All right. So so that's a little bit of a sneak peek into what we're going to talk about later, because I guess the social selling motion is one of the secrets here, why, why it ended up this way. Yeah, I think totally. I mean, typically, like, success in go-to-market is about finding you know, something that really works for you. Mm. And social selling was uh, one of the big things that changed uh, sort of the the pace of our uh, customer acquisition. Mm. All right. So uh, how much funds have you raised so far? So we raised a total of 4 million euros so far. Okay. Some in equity and some in debt. All right. And how much of the company do you own? So we are sort of Founders and employees own between 50 and 75% of the company. Mm, all right. It's a nice spot to be in. Yeah, yeah. Good work, good work. Thank you. And like we said here in the beginning, like, I mean, we see you everywhere. Granted that, you know, Thomas and I spent probably way too much time on LinkedIn, but <laughs> we see you every day, all the time, and all your colleagues. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about, like how you as a CEO, how you as a business not just decided, but also double down on the social selling element. Like, how do you land in this decision as a CEO? This is what we're going to do. So I would say, first of all, I didn't invent it. <laughs> so it wasn't my idea. So it's uh, Stefan, who is uh, uh, with three co-founders. So he's uh, the third co-founder uh, and comes from a marketing background. And he got, at some point, uh, early 2021, got very excited about LinkedIn and sort of started seeing a lot of opportunity there. And then he decided to kick off an experiment to see, you know, what what would happen if we sort of really sort of doubled down on LinkedIn and did everything we could. And he kicked off a competition. Um, he picked up a product called Shield, where you can sort of aggregate uh, data across every employee. Yeah. 
and figure out like how much traction the different people getting on their posts, etc. So, you know, we, we gave that to everybody in the go to market team. And then, um, he set a target of getting to 300,000 views in Q2 of uh, 2021. Right. And then we would do a big dinner and, and just go out and have a splash. Yeah. And then we got started. Um, there wasn't really a game plan. We have a, a small content team. So we have people producing content. And I think also our product lean, leads it like it, it, it provides a lot of good content. Um, but in general, talking about your sales process and how you're doing and like things that you care about makes for good content. Yeah. But what was it your team? So in this experiment, was it Stefan and you and the team deciding that we're sharing dream data content? So somebody created, whether it's Stefan and you were resharing, or did you already from the get-go say like each one of you is responsible for their own content? So share whatever you think makes sense. Yeah. Or create. Yeah. Create content. Of course, we we share tactics. Like how do you, like you sit down, you don't have any ideas. What do you do? I mean, rule number one is like, what did somebody else do sometime back and have success with? Well, copy that and, you know, do your own version of that. You didn't have to be alone and reinvent everything all the time, but, but still you had your own creative freedom and you could test out different kinds of stuff and so on. Yeah, I think it was, uh, it, it, at least if you want to control something like this very tightly, it, we haven't tried it, but I feel that it would become less authentic. And you would have less energy uh, in it if you're controlling, let's say, everybody has to get their post approved by the CEO, for instance. Like, yeah. So you're not gating everything. You don't need to put your sign of approval. Right? No, no. I think you need, to, you need to sort of trust people to understand the boundaries. And of course, sometimes somebody will step a little bit out of bounds. And then you have a discussion sort of with the team, you know, is this good or bad? Just go taking it too far. <laughs> we did a post that was definitely sort of a, a bit, a, you know, tattoo provocative. You know, it wasn't meant to, you know, annoy or like get so many people really worked up. But we did. It was also a stupid post. I'm not going to talk about it. Like, oh yeah, I feel like yeah, I feel like you got to tell us now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did a post about men and women in in marketing, and that was you know, yeah, it. Some people took it the very wrong way. We didn't mean it like that. Right. But, but that definitely sort of, uh, took up in the wrong way. So, so that was like, sometimes that happens, but then it's also about, you know, acknowledging that, of course, sometimes you step out of line. Yeah. And then, you know, you work your way back towards, uh, to, to something that works, right? Yeah. But I guess if you never cross the line now and then you're too vanilla in, in, in what you do, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, like in some cases, it, it can also be beneficial to sort of, yeah. be a little bit edgy or you know annoy somebody especially if they have a big audience of people that you want to talk to then that can help but it has to be reasonable what you're saying or make sense what you're saying right? and f from the get-go as you guys were setting up the framework here did you have an idea like the message is going to be around us and what dream data does and educate people on that or is it going to be more about the customers and the problems that they have. So we're not talking so much about us. So I think uh, when you look at something in hindsight, it will always make it look very beautiful and rational. I don't think we had a lot of plan. Uh, but when I look at it now, I can see that what has worked for us is um, we did a lot of content that 
was maybe not so much about ourselves or our company, or maybe not even about us as people or our experiences, but just stuff that resonated with the people we wanted to talk to. Uh, it made them feel that we were, you know, like them. Mm. And some of it was fun content. And that built up an audience so that, what you know, when you were then saying something about, like something closer to your product or closer to what we are doing, then there was an audience to talk to. And people would not think that we were just, you know, pushing a product and didn't really care about the audience, but to feel a connection with the audience, they feel that we understand them. And if we talk about this product, which is made for them, and we understand them, then it makes more sense to them. Yeah. So you can say, for instance, um, yeah, we did, I mean, we've done a bunch of, we have a, a very creative uh, guy who was not hired to do content at all, but just uh, ended up being very, very good at creating visual content and, and putting a nice spin on a meme or a video. Mm. And uh, he did, he did a meme that was actually pretty close to what we do is sort of a, cheerleader standing on top of another cheerleader and then kissing a guy on the benches right and okay uh, that got like 700 800,000 views just from that single meme right right um so so some of this content travels very very far some is you know building relation to the audience some is actually sort of closer to what we do and and sometimes stuff is really close to what we do, right? Sometimes we talk about product releases or... It sounds like you spend quite a lot of time on, on this still. Uh, the people in the sales force or, or, or maybe in other areas of the company. So is there any internal friction around this? How much time can you spend on this? Vice versa, you need to do the other stuff, right? Calling customers, close the deals and... Uh, yeah. yeah, so I think I think the, the friction that can arise is sort of... If you have some people that are very good at it, uh, of course, they are effectively driving value for the entire company, similar to like a marketing function. You know, you're driving demand for the entire company. Right. Uh, and then if you sort of, if, if you have to sort of, because fundamentally the people doing this, they are our salespeople, of course, also so everybody else in go to market, but our salespeople are doing this all the time, right? So you have to balance that so that you don't feel that you're, spending a lot of time generating demand for the company, but then not closing any deals because as a sales rep, you know, that's your identity is I'm somebody who closes deals. So you have to balance that. Yeah. We are not in, in, in dream data, we're not sort of measuring this, but you have to help guide people there. Yeah. I think if, especially if you, you know, if you have people that are super successful, in one area and not the other, then everybody has to contribute to both parts of, of the equation of like generating demand and generating revenue. Because now you, you work with attribution, but but you're also here very good at demand generation or, or, or you know, getting this inbound that you might not always be able to track that, you know, how sort of the first, first touch was, right? Because they, they found about you, they learned about you continuously um, by seeing you everywhere. Is there people that only do this or is everyone doing social selling and is a salesperson or, or is a marketing person? We don't have anybody who is only doing this. So we have our sales reps or AEs are doing it. Then I'm doing a bit. 
Stefan, who's uh, head of marketing, is doing a, a bit, but he's, of course, doing other things in marketing. We have a content creator, uh, partner manager. So people typically have a daytime job, and then they do this. Okay. But also, it's that you don't have to invest insane amounts of time in it. I think as long as you sort of accept that you're not going to be creating a perfect piece of content, you know, if you can accept that, um, then you can work fast and maybe do 30 minutes a day on social media uh, that will work for you. Is this something you want all your sales reps to do? Or can a sales rep say that, you know, this is not for me? Everybody has to contribute. Uh, also, because it is for us, it works as as sort of an important part of our demand gen. Yeah. So if we sort of, if, if people are not contributing, it's okay that you're not the best at it. And it's okay that you're not, you know, some people are total rock stars at it. And some people have less traction and some people occasionally have something that works really well. It doesn't matter. Just as long as everybody contributes in the total amount of sort of influence in the market uh, is beneficial. But if you, if we don't ensure that everybody participates, then at some point we will see sort of demand being too low relative to, to what we need in terms of keeping up our just growth in sales numbers. So when you hire an account manager or a sales rep, you say that this is a part of the role. Yeah. Uh, you need to be active. You need to be, be out there. Uh, and I think it's also like nice to f- interview. Like when we interview people, we, we f- try to figure out if they would like to do this. Because if you fundamentally don't think that you want to do this, it's you can say as a sales rep, this goes two ways because in one way you're using something very personal, which is your LinkedIn account to sell effectively. Right. And do you want to do that? Well, some people don't, but on the other hand, you say, if you want to do it, you can build up sort of a huge sort of personal asset, which is like your LinkedIn brand. Yeah. Uh, and if you're building that up, of course, then as a, so as a career asset, you become, a much more attractive person to hire later. Let's say, for instance, if some of our reps, they have like a massive following in this sort of marketing B2B go-to-market space. If they were hired by, say, uh, a marketing automation company, they would immediately bring in like a huge audience to sell to. It's a bit like in old days when you hired a sales rep, you hired them for the Rolodex. Uh, but this is just like a massive Rolodex, right? You hire them for their LinkedIn following. Yeah, because that. So, so it is a huge personal asset. So, how does that make you feel, all that? Uh, and how do you balance that? The fact that some of your reps are greater than the company brand, so to say. The the person is the brand, and like, how do you manage that? So, I don't think you can really manage it. You can just be very. I mean, of course, it's scary because you're taking some of your best people and you're making them very visible. They are making themselves, but you're sort of allowing it and it's your strategy. And really, they're sort of advertising all the time that, hey, I'm a great sales rep and look, I have a huge following. So, of course, it feels super risky uh, as a leader to do that. Uh, but uh, you can say... One, there is a huge upside for the company in doing it because it actually works as, as, as the engine and it works as a growth strategy for us. But also, I think fundamentally, when you, um, when you hire people, 
you should want to grow them into something more than <laughs> more than what they were when when they got hired, right? Right. And for instance, building up uh, like a lot of personal value in the LinkedIn brand, I think that's something that we can give to somebody working for us. Mm. Uh, and of course, you know, at some point, somebody's going to leave and take that asset somewhere else. Uh, but I think that's, of course, I'm. I'm not going to be happy the first time it happens, but I also, <laughs> I, I will be happy on that, like for that person. And I'll also be sort of, I'll be happy in the sense that I feel that we help create something like built, uh, like take somebody and give them something very valuable. I think that's also worth a lot. So to that point, then, is there some kind of an outspoken strategy that, you know, it's great, let's big, build this buzz on our personal accounts and so on, but every now and then, make sure, sure to pull people into the dream data LinkedIn page. Tell them to, to sign, attend, tell them to follow or... No. No? No. <laughs> well, that, that's a straightforward answer. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we don't do anything in particular to sort of... Uh, at, we believe that, of course, a lot of the content is closely related to us. Right. And I think we also, we see that people definitely understand that they are part of our company. Uh, and so it does build our brand, but we're not pushing them anywhere. Like, of course, sometimes somebody will then reach out and say, Hey, what's the product you're doing? Uh, could it help me? Or I have this problem you're solving. Can we have a chat? So that's, it drives inbound demand, but it's in a, in a less sort of direct way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. And, and you've obviously been able to see and identify somehow that this is good for you. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are struggling, companies are struggling, like, how the hell do I measure my social selling efforts? Like, how does that show in the result sheets or balance sheet? Like, how, how do you guys do it? Like, what do you keep track of? I think the only thing you can, like, you use a product that can sort of connect everything, like any digital touch point you can have. Mm -hmm. And then, for instance, social selling, which is an activity that happens on LinkedIn, you can't directly track that because it's somewhere else. Right. So you have to rely on sort of uh, proxies for it. So it's people coming direct to your website, people searching for your brand, hitting the front page from Google, those types of things. And you have to look at that. It's like similar to any other kind of activity that you characterize as sort of building a brand. That's how you measure it. Yeah. Do you also work, there's this big debate about self-attribution, if it works or not. Like, do you, do you guys believe in that concept? I think it's great. Like you should, I, I think if you're not always asking your customers how they heard about you, you're missing out on a lot of uh, insight and also just a good conversation with them when you're, you know, talking to a prospect in a demo call or something. So we'll always do that. We have in some periods asked also sort of in the, like the demo request form and we have a free product you can sign up for. So we asked there. And I think what it does is it gives you sort of a triangulation point because it will tell you that, okay, <clears throat> this person actually said he heard about us on LinkedIn. He was following Laura on LinkedIn. Uh, and then we can see like what is then the actual sort of digital touch point that sort of corresponds with that. And then, you know, in most cases it is uh, like a direct touch or organic to the front page. So you can sort of feel confident that the way you're measuring this works. Yeah. For us, it wasn't when we ask people, it's, there isn't a lot of revelation in what you get. I think if you are sort of, uh, let's say you're only driving demand for your company with a podcast. Mm. Well, then you, you have a lot of people saying that they are listening to your podcast and then you can get validation that way. And 
and you have to do that because you can't really measure that in any other way. Yeah. But if you have this typical, you know, SaaS B2B go-to-market motion, you're doing many things, right? We're not just doing social selling. We're also doing paid. We're also doing traditional content. We're doing partnerships. We're doing, you know, the whole range of things you can do. Uh, and what about yourself? Uh, have you done a lot of these type of content as well on LinkedIn? Or are you going full influencer? <laughs> not as much as some other people in that company. I'm nowhere near as, as good as, uh, say, Laura, Stefan, or some of the people from my company that are doing really well. Uh, but occasionally I, I have uh, something that has... You know, I've never gotten to 800,000 views, but at least something that matters a bit. Okay, yeah. Are you planning to do more, or is it hard to to, to get time to that as well as a CEO? Or I think it's like sometimes it, for it to be relatively easy, you have, your head has to be full of what you're going to put out there. And sometimes as a CEO, you're stuck thinking about things that you can't just share with everybody. And then it gets harder. Uh And then you go back to sort of more normal operations and then you, you know, closer to thinking about what your customers are thinking about and it's easier to connect with them. And then I post a lot. How do you successfully grow your SaaS company through your number one asset, your people? The answer is agile leadership, a distinct company culture and a continuous upskilling plan. Sweden Nature Group is a consulting firm specialized in people and culture. If you want to strengthen your business and enable your scale-up, visit us at SwedenHRGroup.se. So for, for the ones listening here, uh, if, if they also want to do this, everybody wants to do it, but they don't know how much, like give us your, your, your tips on how to get airborne and the frequency and, and how to look at this from a time perspective. Yeah, I think so. I would say one thing that you haven't asked about that I want to talk a little bit about is so if we are selling to people that live on LinkedIn. Yeah. And also like when you say you look very big on LinkedIn, also because you live on LinkedIn. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think you need to think because somebody asked me, for instance, yesterday, they were doing a completely different product. I can't remember what it was, but it was like, first you have to think they were doing sort of a, a like a packaging for um, meal boxes. Okay. Like for, for yeah. You know, you get this weekly meal box, they do packaging for that. All right. And it's like other people you're selling to, which are probably procurement people in you know, supermarkets, are they living on LinkedIn? Probably not, right? So you need to think about like whether LinkedIn is at all sort of the appropriate place for you. Mm. If you're selling to marketers or salespeople or VCs, it's a great place. Um, and maybe SaaS CEOs. And like, so, so you need to think about whether it's a good platform for you. Yeah. But for us, it's been a great platform. So, so that's number one. And then I would say, think about like a mix of sort of things that can connect you with your audience. So show them that you understand uh, who they are and you understand their world. And that's then your content. Right? And then balance that with uh, stuff that is closer to your company. Right. But uh, in, don't sort of fall into like the, the big pitfall is thinking that everybody is super interested in you and what you do as a company. And like fundamentally, like, And they don't. They care about themselves, what they are doing. Uh, so you should connect with them around that. Um, in terms of like producing content, I think it's helped us a lot to be like have it as a team effort. Mm. So if you're alone, of course you can do that. 
then you probably requires more discipline. But if you're a team, you can make it into a fun game. Like, like you know, set a set a target, try to get to that, measure how many views you get, even if it's a proxy metric and it's like a vanity metric, at least it's something you can compete on and then try to reach it. Posting frequency, I'm not an expert on LinkedIn algorithm, but, you know, post every day, every second day, at least a couple of times a week. Mm. There are many people who know way more about when to post and like uh, basically a habit, uh, habit of posting regularly a couple of times a week. Um, don't overcomplicate it. You can always just write about what you're doing. Um, talk about your sales process. Talk about your mind. Like, it depends on what your audience wants. For us, it's like talk about our sales process. Talk about how we sold to a customer. Talk about things that we're seeing in our marketing. Mm. Things like that. Things where you know something that your audience cares about. Right. And if you have somebody on your team that can, you know, also create content that can make people smile or laugh, give them the freedom to do that uh, and, and and produce that content. And, and then also as a company, you'll be laughing a lot when you see it. This is funny. Right. And then I would say just don't overcomplicate it. Do team sessions, share stuff. If you're running out of ideas, steal somebody else's idea. Um Cross repurposing, like if you have a content team that's, you know, building content every time there's a piece of content, rework it into something uh, that's your own version of it. Yeah. I love that. And cl- clearly it's, it's worked for you guys. You figured it out. Yeah. I'm curious a little bit, uh, like I'm guessing now speculating, but you, you guys are growing so fast. You're in a phase where I, I guess you would be very attractive for a lot of the institutional capital VCs and so on. Have you seen that your social presence has also has a positive impact on those types of businesses, the VCs and the people on the money. I, I think for sure we're getting noticed also in the VC space and also fundamentally VCs have many ways of scouting companies and we also fall into other categories there. Uh, so attribution there is super hard, mm. but we do get inbound VC like interest from people that saw us on LinkedIn, saw the stuff we did on LinkedIn, we do on LinkedIn. I have... VC saying to us, hey, we love what you're doing on LinkedIn. We're copying your strategy. (laughs) All right. I was thinking about uh, another thing. So if you're working for a company, maybe within sales or marketing, and you feel like, yeah, I really would like to do this. I think this is right for your company. How do you make the sort of case internally? Maybe your leader isn't, you know, maybe it's not on LinkedIn even or or not that active. So I would say hopefully you're working in a place where, you have uh, some degrees of freedom to do something you believe in. Mm. That maybe you should look for a new job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think, like, but that's just me. Like, if, if, if you're stuck somewhere, like, but essentially try to deliver proof. That would always be my advice. Yeah. Work, like, one, get a job somewhere where you have the right to do an experiment. Two, do an experiment. Like if people say it's not going to work, then just do an experiment and prove that it works. If they don't like it, go to dreamdata.io and uh, you can apply for, for a job there. Then right? you can apply for a job here. <laughs> yeah. We give cool. people freedom. Yeah, but I think it's fundamental that you should have the, the freedom to experiment pretty much no matter what your role. You should have that right to have an idea. And of course, if everybody thinks that's a great idea, they'll probably say, yeah, let's do it. But if you're the only one with the idea, you should have the right to deliver proof in data. Right. So what is in the future for Dream Data besides dominating TikTok? The dominating TikTok is maybe the, the <laughs> next big step for us. Yeah. yeah. 
But for us, I would say um, we're sort of in a scaling phase, so continue to grow our uh, sort of our, our commercial presence. That's a lot of what we do. And then on the product side, um, one of the things that we've picked up on a lot is sort of what does what would something like Google Analytics, which is now becoming a very problematic product uh, to use because you're getting uh, find uh, left and right for using it. Mm. Uh, we never thought it was a very good product for B2B anyway, because in Google Analytics, you count people. And in a B2B, you want to count businesses. You also want to count people. We definitely want to count businesses. So one of the things that we're sort of doubling down on is that space Okay, uh, coming out with a more, let's say, a more simple product that is focused around uh, like tracking on your website and, and giving you insights there. Um, for like but focused on like the like the b2b and and the b2b go-to-market and like that is you know as you make certain bets this is one of our big bets that this will be uh a, a big say growth driver for us we're giving it away for free up to say like the medium-sized company will be able to use it for free when will it be launched is it already launched uh it's sort of out <laughs> now which uh but can we try it can we try <laughs> thomas hold on thomas you're gonna see this on linkedin soon <laughs> yeah just wait for the linkedin but actually i think you could actually just probably go and take it now um and i think that is one of the big bets that we're doing is that that will accelerate growth we already have a free product but uh we want a product that is that fits our we, we talked about icp so our free product right now sort of only fits like companies that are smaller than ICP. We want a product that fits our ICP. Okay. Um, so we're doubling down on say uh, like a freemium model or PLG, uh, PLG motion. So that's big for us now. Yeah. And what, what are you looking for now? Uh, if we would grant you a wish, what do you wish for? Uh, grant me a wish. A million views on your next post? No, <laughs> uh, a couple of thousand companies using my, uh, my <laughs> analytics product. That'd be great. Yeah, of course. But nothing particular that you're looking for right now. So. Well, let's put it this way. Like in order for a couple of thousand uh, companies using the platform, what do you need to get there? I think it's for sure sort of it is connection with the market. Uh, make, like now talking here, having people hear about that product. Uh, and attracting people to the product. I think that's the big thing for us. And I think fundamentally in a in a B2B SaaS at our stage, that's the biggest challenge you have is you know the go-to-market side of things. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, this was great, really inspiring. And we always ask every guest here, who would you like to see on the show? Is there anybody that particularly you feel like this girl or, or guy, they ex- inspire me? I'd like to hear their thoughts on something. Yeah, so... I mean, one of my favorite CEOs, also a good friend, is uh, Stine. Uh, she's CEO here in Copenhagen for a company called Openly. They do a compliance product. Uh, so she's a great person, great speaker. And then she also, like, the product they do is actually insanely useful. We're, we use it and we love it. Okay. So, yeah, uh, I think I'd like to see her on the show. Great. Okay. And we we know Stina and uh, we, we we can uh, echo what you just said. She's yeah. really great. So, Stina, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. And, Stina, if you're listening, congrats to winning the pitch competition on Tech Barbecue. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thank you, Lars, for, for being with us today and uh, see you around. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Daniel. It's great being on the show. Take care now. Right, Daniel. So, what's your takeaway of 
this episode? Uh, one that I'm not sure it, it's always so clear that uh, social selling is uh, key, it's here to stay, but it's like either you work for a company that embraces it, and that is the only way you can have like a large impact. And when I say it embraces it, it means that everybody, not just somebody in the sales team. Here you have the CEO and the founder, or the CEO and the three founders that all think this is cool, let's run with it. Of course, that trickles down to everybody. So it doesn't become an experiment only. So I think that's, that's an important lesson that with every strategic decision you do, it can't be an isolated initiative. Everybody from the top to the bottom, I hate to use that hierarchical uh, comparison, but everybody in the organization needs to buy into it and stand behind it directly or indirectly. And listening to him, it's clearly that this is a decision for everybody at Dream Data. So yeah, it was, uh, it was good to hear that and interesting to hear how they worked with it. I know this is like a little bit of your space and your area. There's probably multiple things that triggered you I don't know if good or bad, but... Well, I don't know about that. I would say it's equally much your thing. Uh, but uh, we spoke a little bit before and you became a little bit uh, philosophical and said that there were two ways of making decision. Either you do it in fear or in hope. Right. And uh, we had the discussion here about what happens if someone gets too good at this, gets uh, too big a following or shines too much. And, and uh, I mean, if you try to hold people back... I mean, you won't gain anything. You, the people that works for you, they are. You have them as a loan, right? Oh, I like that. Yeah, someone said it to me. <laughs> I like we that. see, and I, I left the company one year later and started Sasnodic <laughs> with you. So I don't know how good it was, but 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 anyway, right? So if if you make people grow, and and also if others see it, you know, this this person got really successful working from for for this company. Uh, others will see that and get attracted to that. Wow, th this is an employer where I could experiment. I could grow. Right. I could actually bring in some Gary V into this. Ooh, so Gary V is making it to the podcast here. <laughs> in the house. And let's see if we can get him in the flesh. But uh, he says that when you start getting people employed in your company, they are not working for you. You are working for them. So it's your job to make sure that they grow, that they get opportunities and so on, right? So they, they don't really owe you anything. Of course, they're going to do their job, give them salary and so on. But on another plane, like you don't own them, you, you service them, right? And if you treat them well, they will stay. But it will also be so that they, you know, need to go to the next um, challenge or so on. Right. And I think when it comes to Lars, he impersonates a lot of these things. So... Uh, really interesting to hear how a CEO sees these things when, when this gets so widespread into a company. Yeah, no, really cool, uh, cool guy, cool team, cool company. Happy we had him on the show here. It was lots of fun. Absolutely. And if you think this show is a lot of fun, we appreciate if you help us spread the word. You can do that by send a mass mail to all your friends, but you can also do it by just going into Spotify or Apple Podcasts or so and give us a five-star review. We appreciate that. I like the mass mail better. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yeah. You can DM on LinkedIn. That works as well. You can post in your, uh, your favorite Slack community. Um, yeah, anything goes. But we really appreciate that you're with us, that you listen to the podcast and that you engage with the SAS Nordic community. And uh, we'll be back soon. See you. Take care.